Click, listen, enjoy. Broadcasting live worldwide. Thank you for tuning in to Talkline Network Radio, America's longest-running Jewish broadcast network, the voice of the Jewish community. And now... You're listening to Talk Line with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast on the air since 1981. And now your host. You're listening to Talk Line with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast on the air since 1981. Israel is reporting that they've vaccinated half of their population. And I'm going to guess it's the Jewish half. <laughs> Welcome back to the program. I'm Zeb Brennan. just heard a clip from Saturday Night Live about a week or so ago where an anti-Semitic made, reference is made by Michael Sheik, comedian, supposed comedian, about Israel not vaccinating the Arabs. Allison Joseph joins us. She's a founder and director of Jew in the City, and she's brought this and another NBC show to light regarding their anti-Semitism against Hasidim and against Jews. So, Allison, thank you for joining us. Thanks so much for having me on. And thank you. So what's going on? Is there a media war against Hasidim and Haredim? Because once upon a time, Hasidim were romanticized in the movies and on television. And now it seems to be a completely different picture. Actually, I would disagree on that point. So first of all, just to clarify one thing, um, my organization was not involved in bringing the SNL clip to light. That but, was but, but, but the, ner- the nurse's yeah. clip, right. The, the nurse's, yeah, the nurse's clip, um, we were first to call it out this week. Um, and I would say because the SNL clip was already kind of got people outraged that our, and also we have a community of people that are already aware of these issues and are bothered by it. So um, we posted something on Tuesday afternoon. Um, and by Wednesday, actually, NBC had pulled the nurses episode. Um, the SNL clip is still up. That that's still up, but the nurses episode is down. So let, let, let's play also... that. Let, let's play that for our audience. They can hear what it's, we're talking about. The graft. Where does it come from? It's called an aloe bone graft. It's harvested from a deceased donor. But you want to put a dead leg inside of me? A goyim leg from anyone, an Arab, a woman. God forbid, an Arab woman. Look, you can't be lugging this metal cage around. No, I don't consent. Israel, without this next step, you will never walk properly again. Which means forget about basketball. Which is obviously what he wants. It's God who feels what he creates. So you were in strength getting that clip off NBC. Tell us about the clip and uh, and what what happened with it. Yes. So first of all, the first thing I would say is that I think that, um, you know, traditional media has actually always been anti uh, Hasidim and anti Orthodox Jews. So I think this is nothing new. But there was no hope. But there was a romantic like take the movies like Meg Griffith and The Stranger Among Us. And there was a glorification. It was a nice thing. Mm. As a a secular Jew watching those movies, I thought it just reinforced my opinion that Orthodox Jews were crazy and nothing that I wanted to be. Maybe it wasn't as bad as this clip that we just saw here. But even I would tell you, like, you know, we saw Fiddler on the Roof 
And we thought that these people like, you know, when horse and buggies were basically like the, you know, Hasidic and Orthodox Jews living with us today. There is, I think, for a lot of non-Orthodox Jews and non-Jews, this idea that sort of the people living right here are old fashioned, they're extremists, they're so weird and so different from us. So the portrayals that I saw in the media growing up really only reinforced the negative ideas that I had. What I think is different now, and you know, this um, this episode of Nurses, which actually is a Canadian show that NBC uh, got um, you know licensed because they were low on um, content because of the pandemic, it actually aired over a year ago, and nobody said a thing. Nobody noticed it. Nobody cared about it. Um, it aired in the U.S. on NBC two weeks ago, and I believe it was my editor in chief that about a week and a half ago flagged it for me, and we had a lot of content going. And then an Orthodox nurse actually wrote to us and. At first, I was going to ask her to, to write it. She didn't get around to it. So I said, you know, what? let me just watch this darn episode. And I started watching one scene after another. So many inaccuracies, so many sort of flagrantly, you know, coming up with the most bizarre, over the top, hateful scenarios you could possibly imagine. That's not to say that you'll never, you know, come across someone that could be this crazy. That's not to say that there are not, you know, uh, racist or sexist people within the community. But the idea of sort of highlighting this, that this is the representative of the Hasidic community um, is inflammatory. And I would say also it puts uh, religious Jews at risk because it really puts a target on our back as people being worthy to hate. But I'll tell you what bothered me was is there's no basis in fact. If you said you want to pick a stereotype and you want to amplify it, it's bad. But here they're making something up where it's not true because there was even was a question, can you take a graph from a non-kosher animal, at least from a pig years ago, halachic discussion. There's no issue about taking a graph from a woman, from an Arab. So this is completely made up, completely fabricated, and it's as a libel against the community because there's no basis for it. So in some ways it's worse than some other things that some of the comedians or some of the other shows have stated over the course of time. Correct. So, look, I, I think that, you know, what what people and, and the, sort of the challenging thing is that the executive producer of the show is a Jewish woman. Um, and I'm sure a lot of the people involved in SNL and so many of these, uh, you know, TV shows and movies are Jews. And growing up as someone that was raised to really dislike the Orthodox community, I know where they're coming from. Um, it essentially becomes a mitzvah to hate someone that you think is bad. So if you think that someone is sexist and racist and horrible and extremist, and then you showcase them badly, then you think that you're doing such a great thing. And I think the challenge is that um, the people in the media generally only know the worst stories of the community. The stories that get amplified by the news media are the most dysfunctional and abusive stories that exist in the firm world. Those stories then come out through memoirs, through movies, through different you know, interviews through the media. And then people make this mistake of believing that the worst stories are just the normative and regular stories that go on. And then it becomes a mitzvah in the mind of the people creating fictional media to vilify these people. And, and that's really, you know, I think what the heart of the issue is. And I think we get past this by creating actual introductions and having people that are in charge of writing these stories get to know Orthodox Jews personally and see how much beauty and how many wonderful things are going on. You mentioned about your background, and for those that may be familiar with, and I know you're a founder of Jew in the City, and you're looking to highlight especially Orthodox Jews and their contributions and how you know, what, what the positive effect. But tell us, you said you grew up hate, hating Orthodox Jews or having a stereotypical image of them. Tell us about your background and how you got to be an Orthodox Jew. 
Yeah, so I grew up in New Jersey, in the suburbs of New Jersey. My father treated Hasidic Jews when he was doing his residency at Mount Sinai. Um, and some of my earliest memories of life were him coming home and saying, they're dirty, they're smelly, they're ignorant, they can't speak English. And so I was probably four or five years old at this time. Um, and when we got older and moved to New Jersey, because we were in the city at that point, we would go to the city about once a month and I would see, they just seemed like a world apart from me, just, you know, sort of closed off. I thought they were judging me. I thought their lifestyle was backwards. I would open up the newspaper and I would see abusers and get refusers and government defrauders highlighted. And so essentially, you know, what I knew about the community was my father's experiences. And keep in mind, you know, he could have come across people that, you know, weren't as positive as other um, examples. He just had, you know, his individual experiences without seeing a broad range of experiences and assumed that this was the whole community, that my mind meant the whole community. Um, and then I saw the people that make the headlines, you know, good people usually don't make news. Um, and then the fictional media only amplified that. So I think what we could have is people living in the New York, New Jersey area, living as proud Jews. I wouldn't have called myself a self-hating Jew. I was a proud Jew, but I looked at the Orthodox community as everything was wrong with them. The way that I got to where I am today is that there was a triple murder in my town when I was eight years old. A father went crazy, killed both of his kids and himself. And suddenly this happy secular Jewish life that I was living sort of shattered in an instant when I realized that, you know, I could be gone at any moment. I had no idea what I was living for. Um, and it forced me to ask these big questions about my life and my existence. And I had no idea that there was meaning and purpose in my own heritage. Being Jewish for me at that time was eating bagels and, you know, Jewish jokes and counting how many doctors and lawyers we had. Um, but after about eight years of off and on insomnia and minor panic attacks, um, I connected with an Orthodox teacher in high school at an after-school Hebrew high program. And I was expecting him to be this, you know, crazy extremist that I had thought all Orthodox Jews were. And when I saw that he was a nice, reasonable guy that was living a more meaningful life than I was, I realized that my understanding of the Orthodox community had been so narrow and I'd only seen the worst. And I actually felt cheated. My parents gave my sisters and me so many opportunities and were so into education and they missed out on, you know, even introducing us to who we were and what our people was. So that's actually the, you know, the fire in my belly of why I started Jew in the City, because I feel like every Jew needs to be able to connect with how deep and beautiful and positive our heritage and our Torah and mitzvahs and, you know, uh, our uh, books are. But the thing that blocks so many of us are the people in the community that are the worst examples. And what we really need to do is, um, you know, push uh, media, traditional media, fictional media, to tell broader stories, to tell more nuanced stories. Yes, we do have our issues. We do need to correct the challenges in our community. Every community has problems and we are no different. Um, but at the same time, there's so much positive um, you know, examples out there that could and should be highlighted and would open up another world for so many Jews to be able to connect in a positive way. Are you having more difficulty getting a positive image when in the age of Corona, COVID-19, where the media shows and constantly harps on the fact that you go to religious Jewish neighborhoods and you won't find compliance with wearing masks and social distancing and the big weddings and the funerals. Are you finding it more difficult to convey this more positive message? Sure. So Corona is definitely a more difficult time, even if there was 100 percent compliance in, you know, the Hasidic community from the beginning, you know, it's a, it's a close knit community, you know, people living in apartments 
Um, you know, the, there was the measles spread earlier and, you know, it spread so easily in the community because of how close knit things are. So once I saw COVID was coming, I really started in the modern Orthodox community, but I knew that we were going to have a big challenge in, uh, you know, the Frim community. Um, and, you know, I think there's there's a dance that I think that the media um, isn't willing to do, or at least sort of a conversation, a nuanced conversation, because on one hand, I do believe that we must follow laws as from Jews. Um, we must make a Kiddush Hashem. We must do the best thing that medical guidance tells us to do to save lives. And a lot of people, unfortunately, have not followed that. At the same time, um, the media is not willing to sort of have a larger conversation as to why does the community distrust the government so much? You know, what did de Blasio and Cuomo do to make them distrust them? And what's sort of the larger history of the Hasidic community in terms of many generations of anti-Semitism? I think the interesting thing is that when it comes to other minority communities, um, instead of blaming the other minority community for a higher rate of COVID, um, they switch automatically to systemic racism is the reason, you know, kind of don't blame the people, it's systemic racism that got us here. And while, thank God, there's not systemic anti-Semitism in America today, um, there were generations and generations of systemic anti-Semitism that I would say the Hasidic community has a much shorter memory of because of, you know, how they stay close-knit. And while I don't think it excuses people from not following the laws and not using the best medical, you know, guidance that we have, I think it also puts it into a framework and it gives a little bit of grace and understanding of how they got there. And I think instead of vilifying people, we need to understand um, how they got to the situation that they're in. But again, this requires more than a soundbite, more than just, you know, a nasty picture, a nasty headline. It requires a conversation to understand what the situation is. Something that may be hard to convey now, I'm curious to know, and I met your family, we were together in China for Peso two years ago. How did they react when you decided to join what they perceived to be those filthy Orthodox Jews? Now you became a member of that. How did they come around to seeing it your way? Yeah, so my mother actually had a from Bubba and Zeta. So she had sort of in the back of her mind this idea that there was something positive. I mean, that's probably what saved me, to be honest. I mean, she fed me bacon, but um, there was, I think, sort of that spark there of something positive related to from Kite. My father thought that I had lost my mind. He thought that I had gone off the deep end. Um, and I was all of 16 years old when I pushed back and I challenged him and I said, um, you, how can you possibly have an opinion for what I'm doing if you don't know anything about this? You, a person who is ignorant is not allowed to have an opinion. So learn what I learned, meet who I meet, celebrate Shabbos where I do, and then you can argue from the inside and save me from the so-called cult. And he didn't want to do it. He did not want to learn. And eventually he realized that, you know, he couldn't have an opinion unless he had information. So he began to learn so that he could spite me. And after about a year of study, he was close to 50 years old. He approached me one day and he said, I was wrong. You were right. I mocked it. I made fun of it. Now it's time to play catch up. And he and my mother and both of my sisters all became from um, and my parents have 14 from grandchildren today. Um, everyone actually made Aliyah. Um, and so that was a nice ending to that story. <laughs> wow, it really is. And it's nice to see you doing amazing work with Jew in the City. When we come back, we continue our conversation with Allison Joseph, founder, as I said, of Jew in the City. We're looking at the media war against Hasidim. We'll look how it goes beyond the media. We'll look at Delta Airlines when we come back. Hi, this is David Gabay, and you're listening to The Zev Brenner Show. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.
You're listening to Talk Line with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast on the air since 1981. And now your host. You're listening to Talk Line with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast on the air since 1981. And now your host. We're back. Our guest, Allison Joseph, founder of Jew in the City. We're looking at the media war against Haredim, against Hasidim. We're taking your phone calls right now, 212-769-1925. Email is a wonderful way to have your questions answered. Zevbrenner at gmail.com. Let's go to Crown Heights. And you in Crown Heights, your question for Allison Josephs. Go ahead. Uh, I just wanted to, uh, Allison, I just wanted to tell you that your journey to Yiddishkeit is really, really beautiful. I enjoyed every moment of it. Um, I'm sure you're doing a great job, and thank you, because it's a very big service to the Frum community. But I just wanted to tell you that it's the most incredible story. Um, You know, we have uh, guests every weekend. Well, not now because of corona, but usually. And a few years ago, a woman, 62 years old, a professor in a college, came to stay in her house, and her car was had signs all over, and the biggest of all, it said, everything a man can do, a woman can do better. So my mm-hmm. husband walked in from work Friday, just before, you know, I light the candles, and he says, who's in this house, Bella Abzug? Well, this mm-hmm. lady almost flipped. She really thought she was going to come in to see this fat Jewish lady, Jewish Rebbitson, with 15 kids pulling at her apron, and well, yeah. I don't want to boast, but I'm a pretty good-looking lady, and the <laughs> house is immaculate. It smelled delicious. She just went absolutely nuts. And you know, the first time in her life, at 62, she lit the Shabbat candles, the first time, and what she loved the most, believe it or not, is washing her hands, washing <clears throat> to, before bread. She loved it. She told me that that's what she does. She even started Negovasser. I mean, unbelievable. And just the last story, because I loved your story so much, I have to share with you. Um, a family from Scarsdale, uh, the school decided to bring them uh, to see Hasidim after this Hasidic book came out. Um, I forgot the name of it, but anyway. So um, they, uh, this uh, woman came to my house with a daughter, and I said, well, where's your husband? Oh, she says, you don't understand. Well, my husband works in Manhattan, and he sees a Hasidic Jew. He crosses the street. I said, yeah. great, bring us to your house. Well, he agreed, and we came there, my husband and I, and we very much look, you know, with Lubavitch. He is the nicest person. He just never, ever met a religious Jew. Oh, right. and wow. he did. He never spoke to us. Well, that's we why it's important that we friends. get the exposure out there. That's exactly yes. what we're trying so to highlight. Yeah, I just want to thank you. And today, you know, there's so many things on the Internet, Chabad.org or whatever. I mean, you get to see the real people, and I think that we're a little bit more exposed. The fact that there's anti-Semitism, yeah, work on it. That's disgusting. I, I mean, they, they should, all the wonderful things that Jewish people are doing, we bring so many things. The, the, Absolutely. Polio I, I, I appreciate the, it. The we have a lot of people calling. So thank you I, very much. Okay. I just wanted to say how much I enjoyed you. Oh, thank Bye-bye. you very much. Good, 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 good. Let me just squeeze in one email before we get to our next calls. Uh, Allison, this, our listener writes, do you think that the movie Unorthodox has to do with increased anti-Semitism? Um, look, Unorthodox is not the only depiction of uh, 
um, the ex-Hasidic story. Another piece of the work that our organization does is that we also work with former and questioning Hasidim and Haredi Jews. Um, this was not our original plan to be involved in this work. Um, the original plan was to go out and say how good from Jews were once I discovered that. And then people that had had bad experiences started telling me what a liar I was and how none of this was true. But then we had a group come to us and say, um, we believe you and we'd like to see a more positive version of orthodoxy. And what I've essentially discovered since then is that um, there are people who, unfortunately, due to dysfunctional families and being sent to the most could have an entire upbringing where they meet very few healthy people in their entire from upbringing and their perception of the from world and the, the Hasidic world is really just one of abuse and dysfunction. And so we have this program Project Makom where we help these people separate dysfunction out of Judaism and be able to see that it's two separate things. And so the, the story of unorthodox, I can tell you we have people in our organization who have stories very similar to this. So I can't deny that this is happening in some places, but the problem is that it's not given any nuance. It's not given any nuance. These are some of the most unhealthy families, the most um, extremist schools, and that that we'd never see the positive stories, that we never see all the people thriving and living very happy and positive lives and only see the negative. It certainly increases the feeling that these people are a problem, these people are extremists, you know, these people are so different than me. And as people are othered and dehumanized, that certainly opens up uh, the window for violence, for more hatred. But again, unorthodox um, isn't a new phenomenon. You know, these memoirs have been around since the early uh, 2000s, um, certainly increasing in more uh, media exposure. Um, but it's not, you know, something brand new. Okay, let's go to Mark Mayer-Rappel, founder of The Bridge. He's a leading advocate of dealing with abuse. And uh, Shavuto, thank you for calling in. Do you have a question for Allison? Thank you very much, Allison. It's such a pleasure having you on this show tonight. I'm a thank great you. admirer of yours. And uh, your work is holy work, and I hope you can continue your work. Uh, beautiful work that you do. And your story about your family and your father and mother are really, really uh Beautiful and very inspiring, and inspired all of us. You know, the question you. that you have tonight, the question that you have on the show tonight: Why is the media? Why is the media uh, so anti-orthodox? Uh, I can tell you one thing. You know, a few weeks ago, uh, the Baba Rebbe from Borough Park made a wedding with over ten thousand people, not wearing masks and not social distancing. You know, I, in my organization, I don't know if you're familiar with my work. I tried to contact you a couple of times to offer anything I can do for you. But the, sometimes, you know, sometimes we have to be critical. You know, there's yeah. a person in my neighborhood in Long Island who did charity his whole life. He gave out millions of dollars of charity to Jewish organizations. And then one day he defrauded people out of $15 million. So what are people talking about? People are not going to talk about us tested. They're not going to talk right. about us charity. They're not going to talk about the great holy work of Hatzalah, Tolfa Shabbos, Masbia, and the beautiful billions of dollars of, of charity that we do. They're going to talk about the negative things. That's what the sure. media does. I know when I was involved for 10 years in child abuse, and many major Jewish organizations, many of them that you, you know, were quiet on it. And they got a lot of flack. And I won the battle after 10 years, and we got the child that comes back past. So I think mm -hmm. that while we have to think positive, and I'm on your mode, we've got to be positive, positive, positive. We've got to continue talking about the great, beautiful work that the Orthodox community does. 
like unprecedented chesed from any community in the entire world comes from the Orthodox community. Including in the case of COVID, plasma donations have been oh, also... Exactly, plasma and the volunteers. I worked with Lenox Hill Hospital, and we did a lot of programs helping out people. But to, to, to do weddings, public weddings, I'm sure the previous Baba Rebbe, Rabbi Shlomo Halberstam, would never, never in a million years do a public gathering of tens of thousands of them without mass, and, and, and it's ridiculous. So while, Allison, I agree with you that we should not be attacking, God forbid, our community that does such beautiful work, but how do we stand up to this kind of ridiculous narishkeit to have a public gathering of thousands of people without masks? What Listen, do we yes, so, uh, go ahead, Allison. I, mean, I know the media. I know the media. Yeah. I've, been telling, I've been in the media daily basis. What do I tell the media? Yeah, so um, I, I think that we, what I said before, where we have to call out, you know, people that are breaking the law, you know, uh, making Chil Hashem going against uh, Jewish idea of using the best medical knowledge of our times and, you know, causing, uh, you know, people possibly to, you know, get sick and die. Um, we, like I said, we have to call it out and we should also try to put into some sort of a framework so at least people understand where they're coming from. But what I will tell you is that while our work initially started in sort of an outward facing message to, you know, the non-firm world and to non-Jews, um, and then uh, grew into um, helping people that got hurt by the underbelly of the firm world. What we realized and what we've gotten now into in sort of an unofficial way in the last few years and what we'd like to grow more into is actually going to the leadership of the firm world and bringing feedback about the issues that we have, because it's not a coincidence that the things that make the negative headlines are the same things that push people out of observance. And I've actually made a list. It's kind of how I stay sane because we have over 200 members of Project Mako who are nearly all trauma survivors. So I have a list of categories of issues that they've brought to us. And we're now using the name that we've created as supporters and Kiddush Hashem in the firm world to make meetings with leadership in the firm world to talk about what changes can we make because we can't tell the media to not report badly if we keep feeding them things to report on. So it has to be, again, one of those nuanced dances where we both uh, ask the media for a fair portrayal and a nuanced portrayal and then also go to leadership and say, can we do better in these areas because um, this is pushing people out and it's causing a tremendous chil Hashem. And I'll tell you, we've actually had some, some very nice successes and we, we feel hopeful about continuing this work. Anyway, Mayor, thank you so much for your good, good call. Thank you very much, Allison. If I can be thank of you. any help, if I can be of any help, I have a 10,000-square-foot building in Flatbush that's available to your organization to promote positive things free of charge. And Zev has my personal number. He can give it to you. But I'll be glad to participate financially and all the methods that I can help you uh, convey this message of hope and optimism and love and unity among our people. Okay, thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, and and I, I do want to add that the whole thing with the social distancing and the matter, we have to have more compliance. But the signs may be coming out that people have had COVID, uh, may not have a chance of getting it a second time again. And a lot of people have gotten in this community. And I think, and we'll talk about it a little later on, I think the, the governor's policy of attacking the community didn't help very much to do it with compliance. So I'm not excusing right. it, but I'm explaining that we have to understand yeah. the context of what's really happening. I think that's so important as well. Yeah.
When we come back, we have more of your phone calls at 212-769-1925. Our guest is Allison Josephs, Jew in the City. We're looking at the media attack against Hasidim. Talk line radio and TV with Zeb Brenner is just phenomenal. Everybody concerned about the Jewish community should listen and watch. He has the best guests. He asks the most interesting questions. He's always so well prepared. It's talk radio and television from a Jewish point of view at its very best. To advertise on the TalkLine network and TalkLine's email and social media blasts reaching over 70,000 people, please call 212-769-1925, extension 100. That's 212-769-1925, extension 100. Or email info at TalkLineNetwork.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You're listening to Talk Line with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast on the air since 1981. You're listening to Talk Line with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast on the air since 1981. And now your host. We're back. Our final stretch with Allison Josephs. We're taking your, she's a founder and director of Jew in the City. We're taking your phone calls, 212-769-1925. Yaakov in Midwood, your question or comment for our guests. Yeah, hi. Um, yeah, I think they both have a, a good point. I've been thinking about this for a long time. First of all, uh, Allison, she's saying that we have to broadcast a positive image. And also with the other uh, man, I've had this idea for many, many years that we should really uh, publicize uh, all the Sadiqim stories over so many generations. I mean, we don't even have to go far back. You, you even have uh, recently Rabbi Tversky Zetzel, who was a Hasidic person working out there in the community. Everybody saw what all the work he did, but yet he, he also led uh, a beautiful um, Hasidic life. And we need to publicize this to in the newspapers, to the to the non-Jewish newspapers, the Jewish newspapers that need to be uh, publicized. There's so many stories, Ramosha Feinstein, so many stories we could go on and on and on. We could constantly be giving them stories, and they see what uh, how a Jew is supposed to conduct but they, but, but But Allison said, and she can jump in over here, the media always likes to pick up the negative story. That's what makes news, not the positive stories. Now, we have to give them the positive ones, but the ones that are negative are the ones that are most prone to be picked up by the media. Right, Allison? It's true. The ones that are most negative are most likely to be picked up. The other thing is that I think there is not so much, unfortunately, that the media relates to in terms of the realm of rabbis or tzaddikim. What we found um, the easiest thing to get to the media is something that they can relate to, as in a from Jew who has a high position in some secular workspace, um, whether it's a high award like a Nobel Prize or an Emmy winner, who's also a from Jew, who's also living a Torah life, um, who's, you know, doing chesed. It's stories like that. And we have a category for this called the Orthodox Jewish All-Stars, where we've been able to garner a nice amount of press by featuring CEOs and CFOs and different type of award winners who proudly keep Shabbos, who sacrifice, you know, to remain observant and who make a Kiddush Hashem everywhere they go. But even stories like that, it's hard to get press. I mean, we're really up against a very biased media, many of them being Jewish, and it takes a lot of, uh, you know, of effort 
and a lot of bandwidth to be able to change minds. What I will tell you just anecdotally, we had a reporter, a Jewish reporter who was non-observant come to one of our all-star awards because we do a big award show back when we could gather. And by the time she was done looking at all of our all-stars and what they had accomplished, she said to me, I went to journalism school to tell the truth. And I realized now that I've been reporting on this community with so much bias. And after seeing the all-stars this evening, I will report on the Orthodox community with a whole different perspective from now on. So it is possible, but it takes a lot of, of work to one by one uh, ship the perception of people in the media. Anyway, thank you for a good call. And you mentioned Rabbi Tversky, the best star of Rabbi Tversky, which I'm not sure got a lot of media attention. Rabbi Abraham Tversky helped nuns and priests dealing with addiction. And they had an issue because they have communion on Sundays where they give wine. And obviously, if you're treating addiction, you can't drink wine. So what do you do? So Rabbi Tversky said they can use grape juice. So they said grape juice, but it's not wine. He says, well, in the Orthodox Jewish community, Rabbi Moshe Feinstein said it was okay. And the way the story was told to me is that they sent this response of Rabbi Moshe Feinstein to the Pope. And based on Rabbi Tversky presented from Rabbi Moses <laughs> Feinstein, they decide they're able to use grape juice for those recovering addicts. So... Interesting. Okay, let's go to Stan of Forest Hills. Your question for our guests. Oh, I went to Jersey. I didn't know how long it would take. <laughs> a lot of calls tonight, but go ahead, that's Stan. All right, that's okay. Uh, two major points. Can you hear me? I'm here in the back. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Two major points to this young lady. Uh, the history of Jewish humor on Jews has long been noted. I mean, let's, let, okay, we, we deprecate ourselves more than any other group in the history of this country. That's number one. Number two, uh, the history of the Orthodox over the last six months, you talk about how, the perception and how they're seen and so forth. During this pandemic has been utterly disgusting. Not by the media, but by to some extent, not all the time, there have been good people, but by themselves, by the actions yeah. they've taken where thousands have died needlessly because of the way one thinks and how one acts. This is not done in the liberal community of Judaism or the Reformed, but the Orthodox, I've said this before, uh, and Zev has constantly brought up people have to go for testing and try to help the community and straight to, to, to tell them to deal in the 21st century. But this has been the major problem over the last six months. Except, Stan, ex except the problem is is that the media has not been uniform. There are plenty of places where you see non-social distance, not wearing map parties, drinking, and the media only picks on what they see, and, and well, including, including the governor. Areas, I've seen many other areas. The other thing is uh, the largest communities right now who have COVID are black and Hispanic. They're the ones. that have, There are 48,000 people that have died in this city. A majority of them are black and Hispanic, and maybe third or fourth down the line, Orthodox. It's sad that one does not uh, uh, follow the idea of figuring out rules and regulations and so forth. The second thing is, and even more important, is the television, uh, Saturday Night Live. Lorne Michaels, who's been the executive producer of Saturday Night Live for over 45, 50 years, oversees everything. Nothing gets on without his approval. He is, it has been Jewish humor, all types of humor. I know what, the, uh, what was said. To some extent, and always, when there's ever a joke, there's some sense of truth. So I have to ask you, what percentage of Arabs in Israel 
have not gotten the shot, or what percentage? Do you know those numbers? Because obviously they must have checked or found out. They just wouldn't have said that unless they did check. Zev, do you know that? Or well, well we first of all, the Israeli Arabs have been getting the vaccine. In fact, the Palestinian prisoners in Israeli prisons have been getting it. Initially, what about on the West Bank? On the front, West Bank? I'm talking about on, on Judea and Samaria. I don't know the West Bank is. Judea okay. and Samaria. Are they uh, entitled to shots? They I are entitled, know. but they turned out Israel initially agreed to give them, but they wanted the Sputnik from Russia. So, <laughs> they're, they're waiting so for if they were waiting for the Sputnik, you can't blame the Israelis and say, no, I, no, I'm thank not, you. No, but I'm just saying there's always some form of truth, not all the time, when someone says a joke. The history of... But you know what? The, the joke that was made on, on Saturday Night Live wasn't funny. In other words, if you make an anti-Semitic joke and you laugh at it, I can't excuse it, but I can say, okay, it's funny. This joke had nothing to do with anything. It was not funny. It's They, they had to put the laugh track in. Uh, it Did just, they apologize for it, sir? Did they come back and say, you know, we made a mistake? Did no, they as far as I know, no, they did not apologize for no, it. Well, usually no if they think they made a mistake, uh, I know in some instances. But Allison will tell you, but in case of the nurses where right. they had that segment, which was not based at all in reality, just was an anti-Semitic you know, trope where they had right. about Jews not one taking, a Hasidic Jew wouldn't take a, an organ from a woman for an Arab, right. which is not based that, at yeah. all, and they I did pull that. that. Thanks, Allison. Okay, let me, okay, they did pull that. Okay. Well, we're going to have to move on to the next oh, one. Quickly, think, yeah, there, quickly. You know, there is something called theatrical license. You take it. Not, it's not all the time great. But it's part of entertainment. You do extend it or make it a little more than it is. I don't say it's right, but that's also part of the entertainment. You know Thank what? You. But like I said before, A has to have a basis in truth, which the nurses oh, episode uh, uh, did. To some extent, yeah. And you know I what? You know, you, you're right. Jews can laugh for themselves. But what I heard wasn't funny. It, okay. It's not funny. Okay. At There's least a lot of things I hear that's not funny. That's but true. They put them on. They sat in a room with writers and said, what are we going to put on? Obviously, the people made this choice made a mistake. So maybe they need to get better writers. Anyway. <laughs> okay, that's true. Right on. Here we Does go. I... Georgia, Manhattan, quick question. You're going to be our last call. Yeah, quickly. Uh, you know, this reminds me of, uh, I'm paraphrasing the old Nemo statement. First, they came, blacks, the comedians came for the blacks, and no one said anything, and now they're coming for other people. And now they're beginning to realize that humor is often a vicious way, especially in today's atmosphere, a vicious way to demean themselves and their people. Now, my question to you, young lady, what is it that you suggest? Censorship? I'll hang up and listen. All right, thank you. No, yeah. Yeah, um, what I suggest is education. Um, I'm not a fan of censorship. I'm more of a fan of educating people. And I think um, my perception of Orthodox Jews changed so deeply. I mean, the shift was cosmic. The first time I saw a modern Orthodox guy wearing a black hat, he smiled and I almost fell off my chair because I didn't even know that someone wearing a black hat was allowed to smile. So I think get me in a room with some of these writers and producers, bring some other Orthodox Jews along. Listen, we got to get them some funny Jewish writers. Maybe they need there's a shortage of writing. Uh, good writing material. We have about two minutes left. Just a couple. Here's another one or two quick emails. Steve Rice from Piermont, New York. I'm curious if your guest has seen the videos of Peter Sanantello and Hasidim in New York City and Rockland. Fantastic, uplifting videos. Uh, so, yeah, his, his videos are great. I actually got the chance to interview him. What Peter Santanello is doing is actually letting the positive side of the Hasidic community shine, and there's so much beauty to it. And again, when we get beat over the head again and again with the dysfunctional pieces, yes, those pieces exist. Yes, they should be addressed, but there is such a bigger uh, story to tell, and he's actually showcasing 
so many stories that get untold. And I mean, he garnered millions and millions of views because I think people are so thirsty for a more nuanced take and a more positive take. Joseph Raps, the media is very biased, but our community is definitely not complying just today. I went for Mincha, and there was one single mass besides mine, so I went home without davening with the minion since I'm Im- immune compromised. Yes, we do need to have more compliance. We've got to be more sensitive to the people, but the media still should be picking us up. I would be remiss by not ending by talking about Delta. And, Del- and here's my question. Because of this anti-Semitic stereotyping, there was an outrage on Delta flight a couple of days ago after Hasidic Jews were kicked off the flight. And uh, I think there was an elderly man, and he, he either was eating or had trouble breathing, whatever the situation was, and they kicked him off the flight. I actually reached out to Delta Airlines to see if I can get a spokesman for Delta on the air. Well, they, they wouldn't send the spokesman. But they wrote me, for your background, multiple consumers of this party were warned repeatedly to keep their masks on in the gatehouse while boarding as well as on board on the aircraft. We apologize to our customers on flight 1265 for the delay and inconvenience. Nothing is more important than the safety of our customers and crew. It is Delta's policy and federal law to all customers wear face masks at all times throughout the flight. Delta does not tolerate discrimination in any form of our planes or otherwise. But they did tolerate it because the other passengers were upset at how the Hasidic men were treated. So would you say this is an outgrowth of negative stereotype of Hasidic Jews where in the pandemic you heard case of New York City bus drivers wouldn't let a Hasidic Jew on the bus, and now this would happen with Delta Airlines? So look, I wasn't there, so I can't say what happened or didn't happen. But what I do think um, is really a challenge when it comes to the Hasidic community is that when you have a group of people that sort of all dress the same way or all look the same way, or I guess in a similar way, I won't say same, um, it's very easy to lump everyone together. So I'll tell you about an experience that I had. I saw a post on Facebook. A non-Jewish woman had seen some people gathering outdoors for a wedding, I think in the five towns, and people were too close together. It was a wedding on the street, just one of those block weddings. And she wrote, look at these people. They're so ignorant. They don't care about anyone else. These Orthodox Jews. So I got tagged on the post and I said, just clarify for a second. The people right here that are behaving badly, I agree with you. They're making a mistake, but please don't say Orthodox Jews because me and my family and my neighbors and so many of us are doing the right thing and have been making numerous sacrifices. We closed down before the government told us to close down. So I think really the challenge of looking outwardly Jewish is that if one Jew makes a mistake, it is so easy to look to anyone dressed like him and say, oh, you're one of those kind. So we have to um, push back at the people that are making a mistake and say, even if you had it, you don't know if you can get it again. It's a chil Hashem. It's the law. Put a mask on. But then we have to say to the larger world, please do not lump us all together. That is the definition of prejudice, racism, anti-Semitism, to take the mistakes of a few and then lump it on anyone else. Only speak to the ones that are actually making the mistake, not just the guy that dresses like him. Allison Joseph, founder, director of Jew in the City, thank you for doing what you're doing. Thank you for getting NBC to drop the anti-Semitic nurses episode. If people want to learn more about the Jew in the City, how can they do so? Uh, just visit us at jewinthecity.com, and then you can learn about our work with the ex-Hasidic population at projectmalcolm.org. Thank you for joining with us. Thanks so much for having me. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks for listening. Talkline Network Radio, America's longest-running Jewish broadcast network, the voice of the Jewish community.